There was once a fable which tells of three apprentice devils coming to earth to finish their apprenticeship. Now remember, this is a fable. They were talking to Satan, their chief, and he asked them what their plan was. What is your plan to tempt mankind and to keep them from being obedient to God's will? Well, the first devil said, I will tell them there is no God. Satan said, that will not work. You will deceive no one because everyone knows that there is a God. The second one said, I will tell men there is no hell. Satan said, you will fool no one by telling them there is no hell because even today people know that there is a hell designed for the sinful. The third said this, he said, I will tell them there is no hurry. You can continue like what you want. Satan said, go ahead. You will keep hundreds of thousands away from God by telling them that. One of the most familiar parables that we have recorded for us is that of the ten virgins. Jesus used parables to explain something that was unfamiliar by the use of something that was familiar to the hearer. Of course, Christ came and He was beginning His earthly mission, and he was for the first time beginning to preach the things that the prophets of old had foretold would happen. He came preaching the kingdom. He said this, he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill, Matthew five seventeen. But most of the Jews, many of the Jews and most of the rulers, they had taken a personal insult They had taken an an affront that Jesus came, daring to tell anyone that He was transitioning the kingdom into something that was spiritual as something opposed, opposed to being physical. No longer would the nation of God be a physical nation such as Israel. No longer would the Jews hold that prized place among men while the Gentiles, though they could become obedient to God's law under that under that law, for the most part, were left out. That would no longer be the case. It was now going to be a spiritual kingdom. That's why Peter could say this. He said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Acts 10, 34-35. And so during the second year of his teaching publicly, Jesus began to rely heavily upon this technique of using parables. One reason for the technique was by this time, uh, most of the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they had already rejected Christ as the coming Messiah, the one of, uh, of which Moses spoke. So he began to use these techniques of the parable. He could talk about something and those who in reality didn't care to know it would never understand it. But those who did want to know it, they could perceive exactly what Christ wanted them to perceive. In Matthew 25, Jesus began to teach those listening to Him the necessity of being prepared. And He did that by use of three parables. The parable of the ten virgins, 
the man who had gone into a far country and the dividing of the sheep and the goats. So as we dis, uh, discuss and we study this parable of the virgins, I want us to take away from it all that we can. And I need each of us to understand, and you need to understand, and, and I need to understand that if we are going to be prepared, when Christ comes back, we better bring our own oil. Christ, as with every parable that He spoke, He always had a purpose for delivering the parable. The Lord began this parable by prophesying of a coming community of people. He called it the kingdom of God. This would be a new kingdom. It would be one established out of the old kingdom. The old kingdom would have ushered it in, and then the new kingdom would take its rightful place among God. He called it the kingdom of God. Notice what he said. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened. The word then indicates something for us. It indicates what is about to be said has a direct connection to what has already been said. So we have to combine the two. We have to properly understand Scripture by putting it in its correct context. We have to understand the background story, so to speak. Jesus, in Matthew 24, 34, He made it abundantly clear that the destruction of which He spoke was not the destruction of the end of the world. That's not what He was talking about. Because He said that that destruction in this verse would come in the lifetime of those people listening to Him. While this generation is yet living, the destruction of which He spoke, those people standing there in the, in the middle of the first century, you will see this coming. So He couldn't have been talking about the end of time. He couldn't have been talking about His second advent into this world because no one alive at that time is alive today and the Lord has yet to reappear. But He did make a transition from talking about that destruction, which I believe to be the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, he transitioned from that to talking about the end of the world and the destruction and the things that would follow to this world. This world will be annihilated. He said, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So he was talking about a destruction that would come within the lifetimes of those listening to Him. And then He transitioned to talk about a destruction that would happen at a time no one knew. Only the Father in heaven. Not even the angels were aware of God's timeline as far as ending this world. So based on that fact, Christ began to caution His listeners, be prepared, be ready, be watchful, be looking. In the midst of His teaching we learn that the second coming of Christ is going to be like that of a bridegroom coming to get his bride at her father's house. Now, when we understand that, there's something else that we need to add to our understanding of the second coming. The second coming does not need to be something to be feared. It needs to be something to be embraced, something for which we look forward. Just like the bride 
waiting for her bridegroom. The bridegroom going to get his bride. That's a time of joy and great blessing. So we need to understand the end of time should be like that for us, for those of us who are prepared. So, for the hearers to better understand the nature of the kingdom and the necessary preparation of its coming, he begins to talk about ten virgins, ten young women who took their lamps and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. Of course, according to Jewish custom, what would happen is the bridegroom would go to the house of his father-in-law to receive his bride after having feasted in his own home. Now leaving behind, there would be maidens. In, in our parable, ten virgins who would be left behind and so they could go out and they could meet the bridegroom on his way back and they could light the way in case it were dark. And they could usher the bridegroom and his new wife into the home in which they would be leaving. Of course, after having spoken of this coming community of people, preparation, I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, a kingdom is coming. Then he goes from that point to talk about the character of those, or what the character ought to be of those who would make up this coming community. To gain entrance, Jesus in His parable lets us understand quickly we must be careful. We must be careful. There were five careful virgins and five that were not careful. The five that were careful had made preparation. They understood that the bridegroom was coming. They also understood that during these occasions there may be delays. There might be something that that would take place that would hinder the bridegroom from coming to the point of the, the bride's home in a, in a timely manner. Of course, what was going on was a feast. There was a feast of happiness going on at the bridegroom's father's house, and so he may be delayed. But these five virgins, these five young ladies, they decided to be careful. They wanted to be able to be ready for when the Lord came. This is how Jesus described them, Matthew 25, 24. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps, and He commended them. They had lamps, but they had extra oil. Now, in addition to those five careful ones, there were five careless ones. Notice their description, Matthew 25, verse 3. They that were foolish took their lamps, and they took no oil with them. In other words, they were not prepared for what we might call the long haul, right? They were prepared for a little while, but they weren't prepared to endure. What is the application for us today? Have you ever known someone who obeyed the gospel, became very zealous for the Lord, was excited about the work, and that lasted for a little while, and then they kind of faded off into the background? In fact, they may just disappear altogether. I think that's what we're talking about here. We have to be prepared. If we're going to be in this community of people, the kingdom of God, we have to have the character of preparedness. We have to be ready at all times. We don't know when the bridegroom is coming. Now, under normal circumstances, these five careless, they may have had plenty of oil. 
the oil they had would have lasted until midnight. The bridegroom should have gotten there in their minds by midnight. And then they would have helped to usher the bridegroom in and, and they could have uh, been at the wedding feast and they could have enjoyed the blessings that come along with that. But we know life isn't always what we think it ought to be, right? Things happen in this life. And so we have to be prepared for that. And so the foolish virgins, knowing the same information that the wise knew, decided to be careless instead of careful. Now the purpose of the parable here is to introduce this community of people. Jesus is wanting those listening to get ready. The kingdom is coming. You need to have a character, certain character traits to be able to enter into this kingdom. And one is preparation. We prepare by being obedient. And He was going to leave that information with them as well. Now, He goes from the community of people or the purpose for this community and this character to the people Themselves. He begins to talk about those around whom the parable is established. Ten virgins, they began to wait. They were waiting for a bridegroom. They were waiting for a wedding party. And when he did not come at the expected time, Matthew described them as becoming sleepy. They began to nod off and slept. He says they slumbered and slept. Now, We shouldn't understand that to mean they went to bed. They simply began to rest. But you know, they're not blamed for that. They're not rebuked for that. They simply rested in anticipation of the Lord's arrival or the bridegroom's arrival. Wasn't anything wrong with resting. It didn't interfere with their preparation. In fact, it allowed them to recuperate and to recover for when the bridegroom did come, they would be ready for that. I want us to understand, when we look at this part of the parable, there's got to be something that makes application to us today. And this fact that they nodded off. They were resting. They didn't go to bed. They were simply resting. God has never expected His creation to spend 24 hours of the day in Bible study. Now, could each of us spend more time in Bible study? Absolutely. But He has never expected us to wake up in the morning and say, well, I'm not going to go to work this morning. I'm going to spend my time studying the Proverbs. Well, if you studied the Proverbs, you'd get up and go to work, wouldn't you? He wants us to understand that we need to put God first in our lives, but there are responsibilities of a worldly, of a physical nature that we have to make sure that we take care of. Paul commanded this. Notice what he said. He said, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, 
for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Do you notice who he, who he uh, was speaking to in this passage? Everybody could fit someone in this passage. Whether we're children, whether we're parents, whether we're workers for someone else, whether we're married, or whatever the case may be. He is addressing things in this life that pertain to things other than simply spiritual matters. We have to go to work. God commanded us to work. We need to work. We need to provide for ourselves. We need to help other people when they are in need. God expects that from us. So He's talking about meeting other obligations in this life. And while these virgins were waiting, they had tried, or at least five of them had prepared, but all ten were thinking of spiritual things. But in the meantime, there were other things they should have been doing, right? It was okay to rest when we're able to rest. We're going to notice in a few moments, five of those young ladies should have been buying oil instead of sleeping, right? Instead of resting. The other ones could rest. They had previously done that. So I think that's what we're talking about. Now the wait soon turned into waking, didn't it? We're not going to wait forever. We'll wait for a period of time. They were awakened from their rest by the announcement of the bridegroom. He's coming. Get up. Prepare. Now, at this point, we are reminded again of the description, aren't we? Five were wise. Five were foolish. Five were going to be unprepared. Even though they were all surprised, they didn't know when the bridegroom was coming. They all knew that He would be coming, right? But we're taught that, aren't we? This, appar- this parable identifies the same situation under which each of us lives in this life today. Paul said this. He said, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Acts seventeen thirty through thirty one. There's no question about whether a day like Paul described is going to happen. There's not even a question: Will he come? When is he going to come? I don't think that's even the question. The question is. Am I going to be prepared when He comes? Did I bring my own oil? Did I prepare myself? Just like that troop of young ladies. We don't know when the Lord's returning, but we have to be ready. When Christ comes back to gather His people, the world is going to be judged on their performance while He was away. What was going on during that period of nodding and resting? What was going on during that period of having to meet other obligations in this life? Did I look at those obligations as more important than the ones that would get me into the wedding feast? I think we're going to see five of these ladies did something else with their time. They didn't make proper preparation. They didn't go buy oil. Was the buying of oil pointing towards something greater? Sure it was. But it wasn't an act of worship. It wasn't necessarily a spiritual thing to go buy oil. 
But working isn't necessarily a spiritual thing. Working isn't necessarily something that's going to, uh, that I do uh, in the immediate context to get to heaven, but if I don't do it, it'll keep me out. Right? I have to live a certain life. My performance has to be what it needs to be. And what we find here almost immediately is a dilemma. The announcement of his arrival. The ladies arose, they came up out of their slumber, and it says they trimmed their lamps. Now here's what it means to trim a lamp. They would trim the wick, they would replenish the oil, and they would relight the lamp. Well, five were able to do that. During the process, the foolish versions realized something. They could trim their trim the wick, but they couldn't refill the lamp. The New King James translates their statement as our lamps are going out. Not that they had completely gone out is the proper understanding. They were flickering. They were about to go out. They needed oil and they didn't bring any. If they didn't replenish, the flame would be extinguished. And that was their dilemma. Now, It appears, as I read this, at least to me, that they were just as surprised that they had run out of oil as they were at the time of the arrival of the bridegroom. Now Jesus warned each of us about that, didn't He? He warned us about not being prepared, thinking that we were prepared. These five young ladies thought they were ready. They thought they were prepared when the bridegroom shows up. We'll usher him right into the feast. We've been warned about that thinking. Jesus said on that day, on the last day, the day of judgment, He said, many will ask. They'll say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in Thy name have cast out devils, and in Thy name done many wonderful works? What's the answer? I knew you not. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, Matthew 7, 22 and 23. More often than not, when those words are going to be heard, it will be because people did not put forth the proper preparation. They did not put forth the proper proper effort to determine what God wants us to do, what He expects from us. And we're going to be the result of a lack of learning. Someone says, well, if you don't know, how can you be held accountable? Well, I don't know about you, but I've taken a lot of exams in my life. And a lot of material I didn't know. And I was still held accountable for it. It was just a big OX and a big O zero, right? I should have known. I should have prepared myself better. Paul warned us about that. The basis of condemnation will be The Lord Jesus being revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who, now here it is, know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We better know Him. We better figure out a way to find Him. We better ask. We better read the Bible. We better open it up and look through those pages and study it like we were studying for an exam. Not like we're reading the Reader's Digest. But upon realizing their lack of preparation, notice what they did. 
They went to the wise and they asked for oil. Give us some of your oil. Now, we see the answer. But within that answer, we see determination. These five wise virgins, they were determined to get into the wedding feast. They were not going to allow anything to stand in their way. Do you imagine that these five wise virgins were friendly with these five foolish? Do you imagine they may have even had a very close relationship in this life? They may have known each other for some time. I imagine that like in our culture, when you have a wedding party, the bridesmaids often know each other and have some kind of a connection to one another. But the wise were not going to allow even their friends and maybe some of their family to keep them from entering into the wedding feast. That's determination, isn't it? They answered this. They said, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather from them that sell and buy for yourselves. They didn't withhold their oil because they were being ugly toward them. They didn't withhold their oil because they didn't care or love for them. They wanted them to have oil. They wanted them to enter in. Go get some oil. Bring your own oil so we can get into the wedding feast. They wanted them to enter in. They just weren't going to risk not being able to go in themselves. And that's exactly what God expects. Paul said, For every man shall bear his own burden. Now there are burdens in this life that we can share, that we can help each other with. Paul said, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But there are also burdens that we cannot transfer from one person to another. The development of personal character, having these character traits, we can't give that to another person. We have to develop that on our own. Obedience to God cannot go from one person to the other. We can't obey the gospel for our children. We can't obey the gospel for our good and close friends and maybe even family members. We can't give them our oil. We have to have our own, right? We cannot transfer some things. Paul warned, he said, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. He also said this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We can't be good enough for our neighbor. We can't be bad enough for our neighbor, our friends, our parents, our family. The primary responsibility of all ten of these virgins was to be ready. Be ready for the coming. The wise were not obligated to risk their own entrance by giving their oil to the foolish. They wanted them to enter, but not at the price of them being denied. So when we look at the, the virgins, the, the wise were not being mean. But here's what we notice and we learn. They did go and search. But by the time they got back, the door had been shut. Upon entrance, Jesus said the door was shut. So they go to the door. And they try to get in. You know what the shut door represented to those on the other side? Security. Joy, great blessings. But to those who were on the outside, it represented something entirely different. This Greek verb tense, shut, means it was shut to stay shut. wasn't going to be opened. What about this? Someone says, 
Well, why were the foolish not allowed to enter? Didn't Christ Himself say, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Here it is. Knock and the door will be opened. So what's, what's the problem? They were knocking. They were begging to come in. Why was the door not opened? Here's the answer. The time for knocking and asking is not promised forever. There will come a time when the opportunity to knock and to ask has passed. The foolish virgins made one final plea. They said, Lord, Lord, open to us. And they too heard, I know you not. The bridegroom wasn't happy about that. He was supposed to have had ten young ladies guiding he and his new wife into the feast. They were not prepared. They chose not to be prepared. Now we know that John has depicted Jesus as standing at the door of our hearts and knocking, asking to come in, but we can choose to ignore Him or we can choose to accept Him. Here's what we have to understand. The purpose of the entire parable is summarized in verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. We simply have to be ready and we have to bring our own oil. The key thought when understanding the final judgment isn't if He's coming. It isn't when He's coming. But it's in what condition will I be when He does come. In what condition are we going to be? We have an opportunity every moment of our lives while we're alive to obey the gospel. Having faith in Christ that He is who He said He was. Repenting of past sins. Wanting to stop living in a sinful manner. And any, any lifestyle outside of having a covenant relationship with God is not in accordance with the Bible. It would be classified under a sinful lifestyle. Doesn't mean the morals are terrible. Doesn't mean that we're thieves or anything like that. It simply means we're not walking in the light. We have to repent of that. Turn to Him. Confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that He lived, He died. He's sitting at this very moment at the right hand of the Father, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. Washing our sins away is what Ananias told Paul. And then living a faithful life, always being prepared and having oil in our lamps. If you've done that, you become unfaithful. You're lacking preparation still. We need to come back, repent, confess in whatever way is necessary, publicly or privately. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, please do that as we stand and as we sing.